1: Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending
2: Freedom. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. It is a delight to welcome back to our airwaves one of my favorite people and certainly one of my favorite academics in America. Pete Peterson, he is the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Their website publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Pete, I hope you're having a great summer. Happy July.
1: Happy to July to you, Seth. Great to be with you again.
2: What are you going to do for July 4th? It is the it is my favorite day of the year and I'm asking everyone who call who who I'm talking to if it's if it's not exposing too much, you can be general. No!
1: No, not at all. It's it's actually going to be a pretty quiet uh, day at the Peterson house. We're going to have some friends over, might do some hot dogs, uh, but a pretty quiet day in in santa monica we've been doing a bunch of traveling these last couple weeks so this is uh this is a good time to be with uh friends and family
2: it certainly is so good that that's where i'm going i'm going to santa monica for the fourth of july i'll send you an email maybe we can connect (laughs) you're welcome yes you're welcome over that would be fun we won't we, we won't be wearing nike shoes i hope yes
1: yes no that will not certainly be the
2: case. It's kind of an issue that gets us to why I wanted to talk to you, Pete, a little bit about, um, you know, when, when you see Nike and Colin Kaepernick say the things they do about America, the symbols of American history, things like that, it really comes down to a, a misunderstanding, a miseducation, a po- poorly informed understanding of the history of the United States, certainly the history of the founding. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today. What is it you would recommend families, parents, even adults on their own look at to help understand and refamiliarize themselves or familiarize themselves for the first time with what you and I uh, have come to learn, study, and know is the greatness of this country, rather than the narrative that makes patriotism such a down-market commodity as Nike and Kaepernick are doing their best to do. One might even say the women's U.S. soccer team is doing the same thing. Exactly. What, uh, no. what, 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 what is the antidote? What do we arm adults and children with?
1: Well, I think you, you have to start with the most basic um, and the shortest, right? So I, I would I would advise first just breaking out and reading the Declaration of Independence again. Good. It's amazing how many people uh, I know who are otherwise pretty well informed have not actually read the entirety of... Of the Declaration right. It's what Martin Luther King uh, himself called the promissory note that was uh, to be realized over the the centuries. And if there's something that um, that our friend Colin Kaepernick does not understand is that the founding was not an original sin. Right. Uh, there were there were great people wrestling over uh, real timeless human issues of how to live together. Right and there were many and you can see it both in the declaration and of course uh the constitution what uh, what Lincoln called in in biblical terms uh the the golden apple in the silver frame mm-hmm. right is that right. there that these two together are really what um separate america from what came before it um but you can't read those documents And just think they just came out as a stream of consciousness without being wrestled over and debated over uh, constantly back and forth um, to get to a place of of deliberative agreement. Um, And so I think you have to start with those two documents.
2: That's a great point you're making, too. And And I noticed my ears perked up when you said it's a misunderstanding to even call. Call it um call slavery an original sin, because an original sin in 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 its traditional meaning is something you can't do something about. It's always mm-hmm. going to be there, right? It's not something you can overcome, and yet it's an odd thing that a progressive movement which believes nothing is settled, that's the only thing that can't change is that original sin of yeah. which, if you read the history of the United States fairly accurately, as beautiful and as and as horrible as moments have been. You have to see. You just can't be anything but blind other than to see how much we have overcome that.
1: Right. No, exactly. I mean, you read even the Constitution that had proclaimed in the Constitution that the importation of slaves was going to end within 20 years. Right. That's in the Constitution.
2: That's right. And it was the first act Congress did in 1808 when they could do it.
1: Right, and and but there would be some that says that there really wasn't a debate about slavery at mm. the founding. Well, there absolutely was. Yeah, um, and and there was a real belief on the part of those who put that that set of clauses in around slavery that by setting that that termination date, that that would set slavery itself on a on a on a course towards uh, destruction and ending. That's obviously not what happened, and it took the blood of hundreds of thousands of Americans to end it. But at the same time, just to to, to go as – reflect on American history as Colin Kaepernick and others would have us and just say that there really wasn't anything brilliant or good or moral in at the time of the founding is just absolutely a historical.
2: It's really the difference in the civil rights movement if you if you can even call it that in certain respects uh in the 60s it's really the difference between let's say a Malcolm X and a Martin Luther King. One of whom thought the country uh evil and and and, and born in in bigotry and one King who uh in almost every speech would talk about as you say the Declaration of Independence, certainly the greatness of America. No accident he gave his most famous speech at the feet of Abraham Lincoln at his memorial, who was right. probably the greatest distiller of the Declaration of Independence, certainly. Um, it, it's 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 a it's an arrogance to me that Colin Kaepernick thinks he knows something more than Martin Luther King.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. And I, I think again you're you're right about that understanding of what King brought was this understanding of America that needed to be held to its highest ideals. Right. But those ideals were set at the time of the founding. Right? They were they weren't going to be created in the fifties or sixties uh or at some point in the future. What what King did so effectively was was call us all to the best of what the founders had put forward two centuries prior.
2: Right. And and so the question becomes, and it's a hard question maybe in some respects for some, um, and maybe it's not something a lot of people would feel comfortable asking, but I will. At what point does this progressive left um, that wants to keep calling us back to the worst parts of our history, at what point are we, um, are we able to say we're all Americans and we actually love this country and we have... Done most everything legally, constitutionally, and 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 frankly commonsensically that we can to prove ourselves as having made good on that promissory. Now, what more is there to do? In other words, I almost think that there's a a racial bias, military industrial complex going on where the war is over. Yep. The war yep. is over. It's it's there's nothing to fight really anymore. But they have to keep it going. They have to keep it going because they don't know how to stop.
1: Well, I, I think there certainly is a, a complex of the kind that you're describing that has vested interest in, in fomenting uh, these divisions. To me, I think the greater question really is, uh, is is the goal of the country and what we're doing the national motto? Yeah. Is this about e pluribus unum? Yeah. Or. And I would ask those on the left, is the goal finding UNAM? Yeah. Is that really where, where, where your goals are situated, even if you don't believe we're there now? Or do you believe that America really is destined to forever be caught in these little pluribi, uh, that we're, we're going to be in these factions forever? Because, again, that is not what the American experiment um, has been about. Of course, we failed that. Balance, right? We 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 have failed that motto, but that is still the goal. And I,
2: and again, I, I the think foment so word is an interesting one because I I have to ask who's who's doing the fomenting? Which side is mm-hmm. doing the fomenting? I you know my yep. sense is, you know my I I just don't mean to be simplistic about this, but my sense is. After, you know, some of what you recited, the deaths, obviously, of a hundred, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, the assassination of our most popular president in the name of that same cause, the civil rights movements, um, the affirmative actions, and the double election, the twice-elected Barack Obama. At what point, mm. what is there left to do? I don't, yep. I literally don't know. But I do, I do know that I think King had it right when he said, if you want to get beyond race, you have to get beyond race. And you have to stop thinking that the uh, immutable characteristic of the way someone was born can indicate or mean anything. But it is the left that kind of keeps telling us that it means everything. They are taking, and I, th- I-, I, the way I see it, they are taking, you know, the, the, the most crude aspects of a human being, skin color, ethnicity, and using it to adjudge, you know, the most subtle and important aspects of a human being, which is everything King, I thought, and I thought the civil rights movement was opposed to doing.
1: I I think that the history of African Americans in this country, um, as much progress as you rightly note, that has been made in the civil rights movement. uh, I tend to agree with uh, my good friend Josh Mitchell, who's over at Georgetown. He wrote an amazing piece a little over a year ago for American affairs called the renewed republican party and he's written elsewhere about whether rhetorically or finding ways in policy for republicans or in outreach for republicans in particular to understand the unique history that uh, African Americans have been forced to tread mm-hmm. in this country right um and again Obviously, this has been turned into a discussion around reparations is sure. the only way to heal that. And I think what that shows in in a policy that really wouldn't heal the divide is, is the fact, and I often hate this phrase when the left uses it about having a conversation, mm-hmm. uh, but I do think that conservatives uh, need to think, talk, and write more seriously about how we... Uh, practice an invitational conservatism and patriotism, yes. understanding yes. that for centuries there were large segments of this country that were not able to claim the promissory note right. that, that King, I think, so rightly described. So immense progress, yeah. immense progress. Sure. But I do think that that's at least worth.
2: No, I think I I think I agree with you, Pete. And 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 I have um, as someone who uh, had the privilege of serving as the chief of staff for some years to Jack Kemp. I was part and parcel to many of these attempts and efforts in the uh, in the nineties and um, and two thousands, I suppose. Yeah. And 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 I do understand that. I, I, I look back on it, and I love it. I love everything he proposed. I loved the commitment. I love the kind of work that, um, that our friend Robert Woodson did when he was part of that and still right. is doing the great work. You know Robert well. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's all very important. Um But it's 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 separate from it, it's it's really very much about it's very much future oriented. It's very much looking forward as to what we can do with the places that the American dream has not rested on for any number of reasons. Yeah, for any number yeah. of reasons, because there are other populations in this country that had hard struggles, too, that for yeah. some reason or another did not, um as in the aggregate. Um, end up with um, the privations say that may may exist in in the african-american or the black communities so i've always loved the forward-looking stuff that the kemp's and the woodson's were focused and in woodson's case are focused on but it's not a grievance industry it's a what do we do here and now with um that urban area what do we do here and now with that gang problem what do we do here and now with my gosh, not far from you, Los Angeles. If anything yeah. could use Jack Kemp and Bob Woodson right oh, now, it's goodness. your county.
1: <laughs> You're absolutely right, Seth. I mean, on a whole bunch of levels. When you've got police officers that are coming down with with typhus, um, you know, you you've got uh, you've got um, I hate to say it these these developing nation problems yeah. right here in a global uh, first world, if you will, city. Yes. And, um, and so I agree. I, and I think the place-based approach, you're helping me talk this through, that Kemp took. And Kemp obviously was very involved here at the policy center Oh, yes, and, right. And, right. Um, and I know uh, Robert Woodson, we just did an event with him in D.C. last month. And so the, the the place-based approach to this and, and being very upfront about the, the, the issues that Moynihan raised yep. uh, back in the 60s yep. um, about the condition of the – African American family and and others.
2: Let me say um, something on that as we think through this, Pete. And maybe you and I have an ongoing discussion about this. Maybe a few things are more important than this. Actually, hmm. you know the, Moyni- the Moynihan issue, um, right. because uh, so many of us are so convinced that this is such a huge part of it. We're talking about fam- fam- we're talking about the, the combination of a family. We're talking about the problem of fatherlessness here, right. and, and, and right. the data is just very clear. The yeah. data, the data is indisputable. And the problem has gotten worse and worse and worse. And even Moynihan, I'll never forget, in one of his last interviews said, I've spent, you know, 50 years studying this. I don't know what to do about it. But when we have that conversation, there is an entire half of this country, party, politically, that yeah. thinks we are just missing it totally. That thinks that yeah. they, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to yeah. hear it. They don't want to hear what Candace Owens has to say. They don't want to hear what Robert Woodson has to say. They don't want to hear what you and or I won't say you. They don't want to hear what I have to say on this issue. That family structure is the beginning, yeah. really, to the solution of all of this. You know, I
1: don't know if you've had a mom, Seth, but um, an actual uh, a person of the left who I've recently featured on a panel um, in D.C., Warren Farrell, has written this book called The Boy Crisis.
2: I want him. I want to do
1: this. And one of the things that was so fascinating about inviting him onto this panel, which was really a conversation around the future of conservative domestic policy, was Warren's confession to the group that he's not allowed to speak or is is often disinvited Mm -hmm. from speaking in audiences that are much more akin to his own personal political mm-hmm, leanings,
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Uh, because the boy crisis is essentially taken the Moynihan Report right. and transporting it into the 21st century right. and cutting across uh, races, ethnic backgrounds, and and uh, even household income levels to show really how significant of a challenge we are facing as a culture um, because of the breakdown of the household, and he's obviously examining this as a psychologist who's who's looked at what boys experience with the lack of fathers in the household. But obviously, you can make somewhat related arguments to what uh, young girls face as well. Um, but it, it's a it's a powerful argument. But as you say, one party, and he, and again, this is a person of the left. Yeah. Uh, One party is just not willing to have what may be the most important cultural conversation. In America
2: uh, it, It's so important that it gets swept under the rug. I remember a column William Buckley wrote in 1992 saying, with all these questions of all these candidates running for president, there were a bunch in 92, at least on the Democratic side. He said, there's only one relevant question that matters, which is, what do you do to, pr- what do you propose to do about fatherlessness in America? That was 1992. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so I asked you for books. You gave me The Boy Cross Crisis. I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to read it this weekend, and I'm going to have right. him on my show next week. Oh, great. This great. is, I this is what two. I, this is <laughs> this is what I wanted. This is this is what I got out of you. You are such a great teacher, Pete. Um, I love it. I'm going to read the Boy Crisis this weekend, and I'm going to have Warren Farrell on next week. I'm going to drop your I'm name to, to get to him. <laughs> yeah, good, good. And um, listen, have a very happy Fourth of July, Pete.
1: To you as well, Seth. Always great to be on you with bet. you. And uh, and then I'm going to have you, you back
2: after I have Warren, and we we'll, and we'll do a we'll do it we'll do a synthesis of it all. Great. Sounds great. look forward to it. God bless you and your family, Pete Peterson. To you as well, sir. Thank God you, bless. sir. Take care.
1: Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.